Welcome back to Mosaic, the podcast from Education Development Center. Mosaic is a place to explore pressing challenges in education, health, and economic opportunity around the world. I'm Berkonofsky, senior writer at EDC. More than 9 million students attend rural schools in the U.S. In a normal year, many of these students face a number of challenges to their education, including poverty, a lack of access to broadband internet, and a shortage of teachers in specialized subjects. But 2020 has thrown yet another significant challenge into the mix, hybrid and remote schooling due to the coronavirus pandemic. Today, I talked to two experts about how rural schools are doing in this challenging time. Pam Buffington is Director of Rural STEM Initiatives at EDC and a longtime researcher and educator in rural Maine. Joining her is Mara Casey Teakin, an Associate Professor of Education at Bates College. Teakin is author of the book, Why Rural Schools Matter, and was previously a member of the Northeast Rural District's Research Partnership at the Regional Educational Laboratory, Northeastern Islands, which is based at EDC. So Pam and Mara, welcome to the podcast. Uh, our topic today is rural education in the time of COVID. And I know that rural education is near and dear to both of you. Uh, so let's start there. Mara, why did you become interested in rural education? Growing up, I moved around a lot. And I think as a young child, I began to really see pretty clearly how much schooling is shaped by where you live. I had vastly different schooling experiences depending on um, you know where, where I was living in the country. And then during college, I got my teaching certificate. I was certified as an elementary school teacher. And my college was in rural New Hampshire, and I was doing my student teaching in rural Vermont. Yet all we were talking about in my college classroom was urban schools. And that just stood out to me, that kind of contrast where you know most of the policy focus, most of the focus um, of researchers, of practitioners is urban schools. Yet, like you said, we've got about 9 million children in our rural schools. Um, so I think it was that disconnect um, between my own experiences and then what I was actually supposed to be learning about in my own classroom that uh, really made me want to get into rural education. And Pam, what about yourself? I know you're living in Maine right now and you're, you're a Maine native, is that right? I have spent the majority of my, my life here in Maine. My mother has a long history with a settlement in Harpswell and then moving inland. So in my experiences growing up in a farm and, and spending a lot of time in nature, in the woods and so on, I saw applications of physics and technology and trigonometry all the time. And I have referenced before when talking with you, Bert, about we had workhorses and my father would say, well, if you hook the chain this way, it creates torque and that allows the horse to pull it easier. And there were a lot of those kind of applications in my everyday life. And yet in my schooling and in my preparation for education, I was a high school math and physics and computer programming teacher. I didn't see those kinds of connections being really leveraged within schooling. And sometimes in rural education, researchers and others uh, approach it from a deficit model. And I actually see it very differently, having grown up in and worked in rural schools and communities for a long time. Mara, how, how do you define the term rural? What communities are we talking about and who lives there? There actually is no single agreed upon definition of rural. So the federal government uses, I think, more than 15 different definitions, and then every state has their own too. So there's actually like quite a bit of confusion about what being rural actually means. The census, for example, defines uh, rural areas as open country and those areas with less than 2,500 people. But again, different agencies define it differently, often tied to population, 
a proximity to an urban area, land use. Um, most of the definitions actually tend to define urban or metropolitan, and then rural or non-metropolitan is whatever's left over. And so um, Pam was kind of talking about the deficit approach to thinking about rural schools and rural communities, and we actually see that reflected in our definition too. So what do people get wrong about rural communities and rural education in the United States? I mean, I think there's this perception that, you know, rural communities are all sort of one and the same, but I don't think that's the case. Is that right? No. um, In fact, it's not. There is great diversity across the United States in terms of the geography, the core types of economy. If you're rural on a coastal plain, if you're you're a fisherman or, or you're a farmer, there are also very different demographics across the country. You know, Mara's talked about this and she's apt to more, but there's both diversity within the schools and communities themselves, racial and ethnic diversity, as well as the geography that's very different if we're talking about uh, rural places in the plains, the Great Plains or the South or the Northeast, for example. Pam's absolutely right. I think, especially in the national narrative, there's a lot of homogenization of rural places um, and rural America. It's talked about as this monolith, but vastly different economies, different cultures, and different demographics. And if you look, just look um, at race, rural America is often equated with white America, but that's actually quite inaccurate. Currently, a little more than 20% of rural residents are Black, Indigenous, or people of color, and that population is growing and growing quite rapidly. And so to talk about rural America as being some sort of monolith or being all white is actually quite inaccurate. And it's just getting more and more inaccurate uh, day by day. So let's turn to COVID-19. The pandemic was slow to reach many rural communities in the spring, but this fall, we've seen a huge surge in COVID-19 infections in rural communities all across the country. How has the pandemic affected rural education this year? You know, whether we're talking about rural Maine or rural Ohio or parts of the West Coast that are rural as well. I'll go back to um, something that you just said. Um, I think we're hearing a lot right now about the spread in rural areas, and you're absolutely right. Of the new cases, rural places have a disproportionately high number of those. But actually, even from the very start of the pandemic, a lot of the outbreaks we were seeing um, in in, um, prisons, in meat packing plants, those were actually in rural areas. Rural Georgia has been hit really, really hard from day one by the pandemic. So going back to your question about what do we get wrong when we talk about rural America, you know, I think there was, um, you know, for a long time, this idea that um, the pandemic just hadn't hit rural places yet. And, uh, you know, and that's not accurate. And, um, and right now it's really not accurate. But in terms of how it's actually affecting uh, schools right now, but I think one of the biggest issues is internet connectivity. And so we know that we have a digital divide and that is hitting rural communities really, really hard. Um, so back in the spring when sh- um, schools down pretty quickly, a lot of kids were just cut off from any kind of learning opportunity at all because they didn't have the connectivity at home. Or even if they had the connectivity, they might not have had you know, the devices they would need in order to be able to access lesson plans. Or maybe an entire family is sharing one device and they've got you know, three children. So that's been a big issue. Another big issue as um, schools are going back in person is transportation. And basically, you know, how do you socially distance on a bus? And so what it's meant is that a lot of rural districts have had to increase the number of runs that they're running with their their buses. And many rural areas were already scrambling to find school bus drivers before. Now they've got double the number of runs. This is a huge cost to districts. And then I think the third big thing I'm hearing a lot about right now are budgetary implications, both short-term and long-term. And we're entering a recession 
and that is going to hit um, taxpayers hard, which will make it hard for people to be able to pay property taxes, which is one of our big sources of revenue for schools. And so this will mean all kinds of implications then for school districts as they try to get by with, you know, with less resources. And tied to that, I think one of my big concerns is the risk of um, school closures going forward both because of financial pressures, also because um, we know that more families have opted to um, pursue homeschooling or to pursue um, virtual charter schools or private schools right now, which is decreasing enrollments, could be another squeeze on schools. So those are some of the things that I'm worried about more long-term when it comes to the implications of the pandemic. Right. Scary stuff. Pam, what about you? I'm seeing the same thing here in a number of different rural locations. There's really a shortage of bus drivers across the nation in rural places, and they were already using, in many cases, double runs to pick up students or triple runs just because they didn't have the staffing. And then you add the burden of COVID and the social distancing, it's not possible to get the the number of runs in to be able to have the full population a school district that I'm aware of in Maine, where I have a a sister and a niece who is teaching, they have a split session where teachers are expected to do both online and in person simultaneously, which is a real burden on both educators, but also students and their inability to get the full uh, attention of, of educators. And yet, these educators and community members are doing amazing things um, with within these difficult situations. Let's stick with that point for a second. How else have rural districts been dealing with all of the struggles that they've been facing over the past few months? Well, one example is that school managers and leaders have taken time to roll up their sleeves and connect virtually to plan across school districts to um, utilize their staffing differently now that they've had opportunities to do things remotely. We're seeing more opportunities, for example, in externships in communities because all students are online. So some of the career and technical education offerings are offered more broadly across the state rather than being just limited to a particular um, CTE site, regional site. Some districts have changed their schedules so that students who need to work in the community have opportunities to do online learning in the evening. So the creativity of the administrators and how they put together programming has been quite phenomenal. Yeah, and I think Pam is highlighting a really important point there. One advantage of many rural districts and schools is because of their um, often small size, they can be really nimble and flexible. And so there's really been some very creative, innovative approaches. And rural districts can often implement them really quickly because of their small size and their nimbleness. You know, I think back in the spring, honestly, the number one concern I heard from district administrators is feeding our children. Like, how do we make sure that our kids get fed? A number of children rely on schools, free and reduced lunch program. Many often get breakfast from schools and some schools even send kids home with meals for over the weekend. So, you know, right when schools were shut down in the spring, the biggest concern was, well, how do we feed children? And so districts were running these really innovative programs where you know, having ed techs on buses, distributing meals to um, children across these huge rural districts, just to make sure that everybody was getting fed. I think now that we're in kind of phase two of um, 
you know, living with the pandemic and working and teaching with the pandemic. Um, now it's really thinking about how do we use remote access really flexibly, like Pam said, to be able to continue to make sure that, you know, students have internships or connect with community members in different ways. I do a lot of work on rural college access and a lot of rural college access programs are, they're, you know, they're reaching out to their students. Um, they would have been doing this work face-to-face. Now they're doing it um, through all kinds of other, you know, methods of communication. So again, some really flexible, creative kinds of approaches, but still not discounting the extraordinary constraints that, that districts are dealing with. To that point, some teachers, rural teachers that I have um, talked with directly not just in Maine, but throughout the Northeast, have talked about the way that they've started to rethink their hybrid learning opportunities. In other words, they have talked about having opportunities for students to engage in small groups and breakouts and other kinds of ways when they're together online. But then the teacher has online office hours and has made direct contacts with families to check in on students on the days that they are not in schools. I have had the opportunity to facilitate some focus groups. And in those, the teachers are saying, I now have more insight into a lot of families and more connections. And those families are, in fact, very pleased. And we're connecting via phone, as well as the kinds of collaborative work across rural communities where In some schools, a math teacher might be a singleton, but now because they're online, they're doing more collaborative types of lessons with other teachers of mathematics that are online. So they're really leveraging it as an opportunity rather than a constraint. Right. So that goes in well with my next question, I think, which is, I mean, at some point, the pandemic is going to end, you know, however far away that 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 may seem at this point. Do you think that the current moment offers any opportunities for long-term reform or improvements in how we do rural education. And I'm, I'm thinking about some of the ideas that you were just bringing up. So working with kids outside, having more flexible internships, externships, thinking more about uh, the digital divide. Like, what are the real opportunities here? It's quite interesting because the Department of Education in this state has received one of the Rethink Education grants. And A goal of that grant is to really look at and expand opportunities for innovation for educators. And they're using this this as an opportunity to really look at and provide some resources for educators to explore these things that are, in fact, working. And how do you expand those types of opportunities? How do you do more blended experiences? How do you rethink how to meet a broad range of students. And so I think that educators are being extremely reflective and identifying the places where they may not have had the capacity previously that they will continue to expand upon. So in this case, Maine is really looking more forward in their educational planning and policy to try to support those educators that are that are really trying to take advantage of very difficult situations. One maybe promising thing about the pandemic is it has forced us to think about how to do education differently. Um, The basic architecture of schooling really hasn't changed in about two centuries. And so in some ways, this is forcing us to get outside, um, rethink partnerships. We, We can't do the things the way we have done them. So I think that offers some hope and promise there. I mean, I think also the pandemic has called new attention to a lot of the inequalities of education. And so as schools have you know, sh- shut down in the spring, as many places are still 
teaching remotely now, you know, there are a lot of kids that aren't able to access any kind of educational opportunities. Research is beginning to show the kind of learning loss that's happening with the pandemic, and that's disproportionately hitting low-income children and students of color. And so we need to think about, like, well, why is that? Why is that happening? And what can we do about that? How do we actually make our schools more equitable right now to address the impacts of the pandemic and then also going forward? I mean, these kinds of inequalities, they've always been there. And so this, I hope that this moment will give us a renewed urgency to actually address them. So Mara, you were saying before that rural communities are not a monolith, that there's actually you know, racial and socioeconomic diversity among this group. How is that playing out in terms of educational access now? Are, are students in different socioeconomic or racial groups in rural communities being affected differently by all the changes to school that have been put in place over the past few months? We know that, that learning loss um, due to the pandemic is different by racial groups. So we're certainly seeing impacts on students. In terms of some of you know, what's causing these different kinds of impacts, we rely on property taxes to a large extent to fund our schools. And so wealthier areas have more resources. They might have better curricular materials. They might have more resources they can put to you know, COVID-related responses right now to you know, running additional buses, to making sure that all their kids have um, laptops. So a large part of this is a resource issue to, you know, tied to how we fund our schools. We've also talked a little bit about the digital divide, and we know that low-income communities, they have less access to the internet. Um, so we're certainly seeing implications there as well. And I think one of the biggest populations that's challenged right now by the pandemic are ELL students, because not only are they navigating you know, all of the realities of learning during a pandemic right now, but they're doing it in a language that's not their home language. And so that has implications for how students access um, learning right now and also how parents are just kept in the loop and whether or not they can, you know, they can assist their children at home. I want to give both of you an opportunity to talk a little bit about the work that you're doing. Um, I mean, as we were talking about before, you know, rural education is really important to both of you. Mara, you've written a book. Pam, you've been educating and working with educators in Maine for a long time. So tell me a little bit about what you're doing and sort of what you think it'll take to make some of these improvements happen and, and make sure that when we do get back to normal, rural education is in a better spot. Sure. So I've been working with uh, the folks at the Harvard Education Redesign Lab, and together we've been creating a community resource hub that pulls together a whole bunch of resources, news stories, digital lessons, best practices from various transportation, you know, industry guides that hopefully, like, you know, will collect all these sorts of resources in one place. Um, so rural educators, rural leaders, rural practitioners can go to that site and find some of those things there. And then I'm also doing some research right now on the impact of permanent school closures. I've, I had started that research before the pandemic, and this is going to throw an interesting twist into that work. I serve on the Cross Regional Education Laboratory Rural uh, Research Group. And so we are really leveraging the goal of the Institute of Education Sciences Regional Education Laboratory Program to look for and build the capacity to do rural research. Some of the, the other work that, that I have been doing in these communities, for example, is through the Research and Practice Collaboratory, really engaging communities, rural schools, and teachers in the process of bringing in and using place-based work to really look at the use of for example, uh, virtual professional learning communities so that for those teachers who are isolated, that they have opportunities to share practice and, and share 
high quality student work and artifacts to help support one another. Um, some of the other work that um, we are building off of too is our work around an, and a, a National Science Foundation funded program called Visual Access to Mathematics for English Learners. As rural schools continue to grow more diverse and we have a number of learners who are emergent multilingual, they're learning English in addition to their home language. We are providing teachers in those settings opportunities to understand how particular tools and approaches, for example, visual uh, representations can help support not only those multilingual students, but also low literacy students and so on. So really building those and building off of our experience developing distributed and online education opportunities. So there's a lot that we're, we're doing and building on, which has been really helpful in this time of COVID. Earlier on, you were talking about how rural communities are often seen from a deficit perspective. But I'm mindful that the experiences of many rural communities and rural schools now can offer something, can offer some learnings to schools that are not rural. So what do you think urban and suburban school districts can learn from the experiences, the struggles, and the successes of rural districts over the past few months? One thing, you know, which Pam just highlighted was that nimbleness of schools. It can be easier to do whole school reform or, you know, to do a school-wide initiative in a rural, um, in a rural place. And so I think that kind of perspective can really be useful for urban and suburban districts as well. I think one other thing is in many rural schools, because of the close-knit community surrounding it, there can be really deep relationships between students and teachers, also between students and parents, between administrators and parents. And, you know, I heard from a lot of administrators right after the pandemic began where they were, I mean, going down the list to make sure they had made contact with every single family and they would do that routinely. And so I think that kind of personal attention and personal care is something that I hope we can implement in districts no matter, no matter where you are. I have in front of me relationship, connection to place, connection to community. Um, it's very much what, what Mara is saying that, in fact, it is those deep relationships that exist that in some of the bigger suburban and urban schools, they work hard to provide small communities within those bigger schools. And in fact, that's something that, that exists naturally in some of these rural schools. And it's where there are a lot of people with, with attention on a group of students. They know them deeply and well, as well as the, the history and the, the community that they can connect to. So things like those externships that I was talking about with community members through the access to technology in this particular case, it provides that maintaining of relationship. They already know that they're there. One of the things that was so heartening in the spring here in the community that I live in, which is which is a community with a lot of local farmers and very distributed area, and the, all of the teachers in the K-5 school in this community had a parade where they drove by every single student's house with with big streamers and so on partway through the pandemic just to maintain connection and students came outside and were waving to their to their teachers and their administrators and it took over two hours for them to to make their way through the town and the area so that every student knew that they still had connections with their educators even when they were only seeing them virtually. It's that kind of depth of commitment and connection that's, that's really critical. Pam Buffington is Director of Rural STEM Initiatives at EDC. 
and Mara Casey Teakin is an associate professor of education at Bates College in Maine. Thanks so much to both of you for joining me today. Thanks, Bert. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Mosaic. To learn more about the work EDC is doing to support rural education in the time of COVID, visit us online at edc.org.